Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. Despite the name, not just for contracting officers. Whether you work for government or industry, we're here to help you understand how the other side thinks. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. This episode is brought to you by ProPricer, the number one proposal pricing and cost analysis software used by federal agencies and small to large government contractors. Go to ProPricer.com slash podcast to learn more and request a demonstration. The topic today is the government's financial responsibility determination. We talked about this a little bit before talking about overall contractor responsibility determinations. Today, we dive deeper into one little piece of it. Let's get started. So, yeah, so I'm emailing back and forth with one of our podcast listeners, with Andrew Black, and he was joking about the fact that he drove back from, from D.C. to Tampa and binge listened to a bunch of our podcasts. <laughs> I've never actually binge listened to a, a podcast, I got to say. I've been on I, long I, drives and listened to one or two, but that's, that's impressive. And it's funny because on one hand, I'm like, I'm so excited. On the other hand, I'm like, wow, that's a heck of an image. It's like you're, you're so enraptured by this, this content that, wow, you're, 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 your head might pop off because you're just – Hopefully enraptured. It's yeah. government contract stuff. I would hope he doesn't fall asleep and drive off the road. That's, that's the other risk, yeah. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about financial responsibility. So when I was a contracting officer, I gave awards to a lot of small businesses um, through competition and, and otherwise, right? And one of the things that I didn't realize that I didn't know was the financial responsibility and capability that's required to manage a contract, particularly a cost-type contract. And so, yes, they, could, they, they were in business, but I didn't necessarily think through all it takes to do the work from a financial perspective. Yeah, so and you deemed I'm, them financially responsible by correct. signing the contract, but... Yeah. Fast forward 10 years and now that I'm a business owner and I've seen things play out, I'm like, wow, I didn't know what I didn't know. So here we are. What is responsible is really where we need to start here. A contracting officer needs to ensure that a industry, that the contractor they're going to award to has adequate resources to perform. You know, what adequate is and what all those resources are, we actually covered. We had an episode about contractor responsibility. Today, we're just going to talk about a little slice of that, and this is the financial responsibility piece of the overall contractor responsibility determination. Yeah, companies who are new to the market or, or, or new to being a prime contractor or new to having cost type contracts. I mean, this, this can be really unforgiving. Um, and we talked about the idea of once you, you can get a head start as a small business, you get small business set aside, you can get a pass in some areas during the acquisition time zones, but during the execution time zones, the fact that you're a small business doesn't carry any salt anymore. <laughs> right now, now it's, Oh, well, I don't care if you're a small business, do it right. And that, that's hey, oof, that you screwed that up and it can hurt for a long time. So let's say, set the stage with far time here. This financial responsibility thing is hiding in FAR 9.104A. It's hiding. That's funny. Well, I, what's really hiding is the next thing we're going to talk about. But first, 9.104A says that contractor has to have adequate financial resources to perform the contract or the ability to obtain them. And there's different ways that you could prove you have the ability to obtain those financial resources. And the ability to obtain those financial resources is defined later in the FAR as acceptable evidence of this ability is a commitment or explicit arrangement that will be in existence at the time a contract award to acquire the needed resources. And that could mean what? A letter of credit? Letter of credit. It could be lots of, lots of evidence of, yes, we have the ability, we have a purchase order in place that we can execute. We have an option to ex- exercise you know, this, this 
piece of equipment when we get the contract, you know, contingency, whatever. But yeah, a lot of that yeah. stuff. Or, or another contract will be awarded that will change their cash flow situation. There's, there's many ways you can improve it. But FAR expects you to have, to be responsible, you have to have the necessary organization experience and also accounting and operational controls. And we'll talk about why that's important in a minute. So here's the part that I was talking about just a minute ago, really hiding in the FAR something that I don't think either of us knew. 9.104-2 is called Special Standards, and it says, when necessary, the CO shall develop special standards of responsibility. And what this means is you set those special standards out in your RFP, in your solicitation, and tell people this is what being financially responsible or responsible on anything, not just financial, but this is what it means to us for this solicitation. So, for example, you could do things like under this, making sure that we understand that the company can do it, right? So, well, we're really comfortable with everything they can do, except for we really want to make sure they can get a line of credit or they can get a performance bond or they get a performance bond to prove that they can they can actually get the resources. But you can make a special requirement in this the solicitation, and here's your far reference to do it, 9.104-2, that says, this is what we're scared of. We're scared you're not going to be able to do this. Please prove you can do this. And the companies that can't do it are going to walk away. And the companies that will should as part of the viewer solicitation requirement, we'll tell you the story as part of their proposal. And I wish I knew this was there when I was a contracting officer. Maybe it wasn't. How about that? Maybe this is new. Before we move on, let's link this to the acquisition time zones. This is really, the first time you're thinking about this is probably during zone two, the market research zone, when you're trying to figure out whether or not small businesses can do it, whether it needs to be a large business. And you know the financial resources required to do this could be a big part of whether or not small businesses are considered capable and whether it's a set aside or not. The other time when you might think about this is during the actual source selection zone, where especially if you set up a special standard to uh, demonstrate responsibility, this is where you would evaluate whether or not they met that standard. Okay, we're going to briefly change topics. Hey, let's take a minute and talk about our experience at the Government Contract Pricing Summit. You and I spoke at the Government Contract Pricing Summit out in San Diego at the end of June. It was a great experience. We actually spoke four different sessions, which was exhausting. It was, it was a lot of content. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we had great back and forth discussions with, uh, with the audience. It was industry and government. It was kind of cool to be able to get the pricing perspective to, to watch it play out in real time right in front of us, watching government and industry discuss, when you do this, this is what happens. It was it was exactly the kind of stuff that we built the podcast to do. It was, it was super cool. Yeah, across the whole summit, there's there's great content from a lot of speakers. I really liked hearing Shay Assad, the uh, director of defense pricing. He spoke about the current situation with pricing, and he, he had a lot of perspective for industry from the government side about how the government views things. I, I, I thought it was really valuable. And, and interestingly enough, he spoke without slides. It, it was mesmerizing just to listen to that perspective walking back and forth. And about halfway through, we're, we're like, he doesn't have any slides. It's really, it was impressive that, that to be able to talk about pricing, here's where the problems we're having, here's what we're trying to get you to help. And, and to see the audience was, you know, hundreds of people all getting that context was great. It was cool. The networking was a lot of fun too. Uh, I got to tell you, it was, it was a neat to be able to meet so many pricing people. My favorite part was during one of our sessions, we assumed that most of the attendees were from the industry side. And I think one time I got a little too far over maybe poking government contracting officers just a little too hard. And, <laughs> I remember that. And a, a hand raised and kind of called me on it. And I had a nice conversation afterwards with her. It was really great. And she was really understanding. But I, I loved getting called out right in front of the whole room full of people. 
and I, I like the fact that it led to a real conversation yeah. between government and industry right there on the spot. So it was it was awesome. And of course, it was San Diego. I mean, the the the, the Bayfront Hilton. It was great environment for this. It was you know awesome, awesome place to be. Yep, and I'd like to thank the ProPricer folks for inviting us out to speak at the Government Contract Pricing Summit. Hope to do it again. It was the first time they'd done it on that scale. It was a leap for the for the the Government Contract Pricing Summit team to have that many people with you know that caliber, and they, they did a great job. Yeah, I thought it went off flawlessly. Okay, now back to the episode. Now on to why this is so important. Again, things I did wrong, right? <laughs> when I was setting up, I had large contracts, and some of them were, were cost-type ones for, for services and all kinds of different stuff. And I unwittingly created problems, um, looking back. Right? So one of them was by making it really big, we we're potentially getting a contractor to bid out of their weight class. They, like It's something they targeted. We're their target agency. They want to do the work, and they want to go after this work, and it just happens to be that we have a bigger contract. A small business could do it, right? I'm not saying it's so big that it's you know it's a $5 billion. I'm not saying that big. But it's bigger than most of the companies in this NAICS code. But when it comes out and they say, well, I can do this. And so then on top of that, they go, well, crap, if I don't bid on this, even though it is out of my weight class, then I'm going to be shut out for the next five years. Yeah, if it's a five-year period of performance and the next opportunity comes around five years later – who knows what situation your business will be in if you don't take a swing at this. So you want to bid, even if it means stepping up in your weight class. The problem with that is sometimes it's really hard to take that leap up to the next rate class. And especially when you're talking about financial responsibility. And so the example that kind of jarred us along on, on this topic is being able to effectively project rates uh, on a cost-type contract to say, okay, this is going to cost – X amount three years from now. We're going to be able to get people for this much. Our overhead is going to be X amount three years from now. And the problem with that is that, okay, as a contracting officer, as the, as the people looking over the work, as the small business being you know, very optimistic about what's going to happen, you go, okay, cool, let's go. And they don't realize that they don't, they don't know what they don't know. And, and I didn't either. I mean, I fully admit, mm-hmm. as a contracting officer, I had no idea what, that I was setting up. A, I, was, you know, I was putting a landmine in their path. So three years later, they maybe overestimate what their rates were and they end up having to make a payment to the government to get them back in line, and they weren't ready for that big of a payment, and yikes, they have a bill they can't pay. Um, and I'm telling this because it's happened. <laughs> and so that's the, the things that you don't know that you don't know. This is a great one. Right, and it's really, really difficult to forecast rates three years in advance for any company, but especially difficult for a small company that's never done it before and maybe doesn't know exactly how to project what what scaling up, what adding a whole bunch of employees or facilities or or equipment will do to the rate structure. And we may be forcing them, the second thing, is we may be forcing them into more complex accounting than they need. And the story here is that you know I awarded a contract with a cost type clin in it, and at the kickoff meeting, the company says, Yeah, I got a call from DCAA. And he kind of had the tone of, who's that? And I, I again, after award, I realized, oh, boy, <laughs> it doesn't, you know, it was, it wasn't a big deal. I mean, this, it wasn't a train wreck, but it just was an example of the things that I didn't know that he didn't know. And there's one clin that you had in there that yeah, required yeah, exactly. them to have an approved accounting system. Yeah. And, and, and it was big enough that it caused DCA to give them a phone call. Now, the funny story about that is that, you know, a lot of times you're telling me it's really hard to get DCA to show up because they're super busy. So this was, he got lucky, I guess, that he got a call, but I don't think he saw it as lucky. The tough part about all this is 
it can take a long time to understand the impact of not forecasting rates correctly. And when we're talking about financial responsibility, everything might appear to both sides, government and industry, that the contractor is perfectly financially responsible. But later on down the road, it could be even after this contract is complete, you get to the point where the contractor is submitting their incurred cost submissions and DCAA is auditing those, and they find out that they've, like you were talking about before, they miscalculated the rates, and you could owe a lot of money because if you find out after the contract is over, there was no chance for a mid-course correction. Yeah. So this can go really badly, and I, I see this a lot because I happen to work for a company that has acquired quite a few companies along the way, and one thing we often see is despite all of the due diligence and all of the pouring through the books, a couple years after you buy a small company, you, you really learn those impacts when DCAA digs in. We acquired a small company that had previously been acquired by a mid-sized company. So they went from small to mid to large. When <laughs> okay. they were very small, they forecasted what their rates would be. They did not get it quite right because during the performance of that contract, they were acquired by this mid-sized company that changed their rate structure a little bit. Then they were acquired by my company, which is a very large company. Then a couple years after that, they're going through the trying to negotiate final rates for those previous years, and it turns out there's a couple things that they didn't account for. And it started out like a million-dollar impact that wow. was owed back to the government. And after a while back and forth with DCMA, DCAA, many of those costs were actually justified, <laughs> and the final negotiation was still like half a million dollars that's owed back that no one was really planning on yeah, and, and take I'll take a decimal point. Take two decimal points off of that, and a small business messes this up, and you you feel it. I mean, it's 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 that's that's a big story that really shows you how complex it can get. But between here and there, there are a lot of things that happen along the way. And I think the 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 best thing, that, the biggest takeaway from that is it's after the contract's even done. You know, like the contracting officers moved on, the program managers moved on. The you know the and in this knows? is this acquisition case, the contract was done before the company was even acquired. <laughs> wow, so, so, so you, you know, you're buying into that that liability that you didn't really even know about, despite all the care in the world in in trying to address these things during the acquisition. All right, I'm off topic. So why why specifically should the government care about this financial responsibility thing? And I think that, I think you already kind of said it, Kevin. By awarding the contract, you're saying, Mr. CO, Mrs. CO, you're saying that the contractor is responsible, and that includes being financially responsible. You can't just blow this thought off. Most of the time, it works out fine. Most contractors are responsible. But if you're doing something that really causes contractors to scale, you need to pay attention. Yeah, and if you discover this during performance and they discover they're losing money, like they get a bill for $50,000 that said a five-year contract, and three years in they get a bill for $50,000 on something on the first year, they're losing money now. And Contractors who are losing money again. I'm raising my hand because I don't know. I, I wouldn't say that I caused it, but I have been on contracts where the contractors are losing money. Looking back a couple of years, and it's you can see it in their faces because businesses aren't in business to to make to lose money. <laughs> you know, it's this is it's, it's a distraction, and it and it 
it it creates problems in the execution zones. Yeah, and so, what happens when the contractor gets distracted and starts having trouble? Well, the government comes in to help. That's and right. And there's more and more requirements to to that further distract everyone from actually delivering whatever they're supposed to deliver because everybody's diving in paying attention to these financial problems. So the self-licking ice cream cone returns. That's right. We need, we need new meetings. We need, we need new PowerPoint slides. Yes, that's, that's how it happens. Yeah. So government just needs to take care not to set people up by enticing companies to bid out of their weight class. I love the idea of setting up special standards in the RFP when you know that this is going to be a stretch for some of the small business competitors. And the reason I, I like, yeah, I like this idea of 9.104-2, the special standards, is that as a contracting officer, when someone, a large business would say to us, well, a small business can't do this. What I heard them say is we don't want them to do it because we want to be able to bid on it. Now, they, they may have been correct. In fact, a lot of looking back, a lot of times they were. What they were right about is that because of the complexities of the pricing or because of the, the, the incurred costs that's going to come up later. But if all they said was a small business isn't sophisticated enough to do this, the word you're looking for here is context. I didn't have context on why. So that's why this 9.104-2 is great because if you say, show me that you – I'm going to set aside for small business. Show me that you can do this. Or for that matter, I'm not planning to set aside for small business. Here's why. Hey, small businesses in the RFI, show me why you can do this and use 9.104-2 to do it. And that's a great – That's starting with the RFI is a great point to do it. Starting by including those standards in the draft RFP is the right way to do it because industry will tell you if it's an unachievable standard. Yeah. Or if it's too easy of a standard, other companies will say, you're letting everybody in. That's too, <laughs> too easy to pass. Yeah. Let's switch to the industry side. Why should industry care so much about financial responsibility? Because this is how you go out of business. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what you don't know. And if you're a small business scaling up, maybe you have the resources to hire a professional that's worked for a larger company or been through this kind of stuff before and can help guide you through it. But a lot of times that that hire of, of someone more experienced costs more than you can afford when you start scaling, right? So this is a big deal. You have to be very careful when you're pricing and when you're forecasting rates because forecasting too high is just as bad as forecasting too low. Yeah, and, and performing on a contract while you're having to bail water, like clean up this kind of stuff, it sucks. Um, <laughs> you don't you don't want to have these kind of distractions that when you're trying to perform. Um, and I, I keep saying that the government team is not likely to see this coming. Yeah, you don't want to have to use your line of credit for payroll every month. Right. You want you want to have these conversations with your government customer and explain it in a way that they get it. Uh, so so they're aware of it and they can work with you before it's a problem. Yeah. Because after it, you've won after you've won the contract, they want you to succeed. During the source selection, you know their gloves are off. They're they're gonna competition is gonna do its thing. But once the contract is awarded, they're not in the business of doing more source selections. If there's a problem, they want to know about it. They want to be able to help you fix it, yeah. or at least let you fix it. <laughs> not help And I know Kevin, you've been talking to a lot of contracting officers lately, and this is a, an issue that the c- government contracting workforce now right now skews towards the younger side, less experienced than they had in the past. When we were less experienced, we didn't know some of these things, but we had some mentors that helped us to understand them. So if you're on the industry side and you have inexperienced or less experienced government folks that you're dealing with, understand that they're probably not going to see this coming. They're not going to understand 
what happens when a small business wins an award that really takes them up to the next weight class in the in the contractor world, right? Yeah. All right, let's wrap this up. To summarize today's financial responsibility conversation, financial management, it's a big part of, of running a company. I mean, it, it really is the key. You can perform wonderfully on every project you ever try to do, but if you can't actually manage your finances and track them, you're in deep trouble. On the industry side, if you know that you are going to jump up a weight class with the award of a contract, you need to plan for that and get help understanding how that impacts all facets of your business. So on the government side, don't push small businesses out of their weight class. Um, they may not know that they're walking out of their weight class. Yeah, I never, th- I never thought of it like that. I mean, I knew, I knew I'd be giving a contractor the biggest contract they'd ever had, but yeah. I, I didn't necessarily understand what that meant. So how can government and industry ha- actually make this problem less of a problem? How can, how can people make this better? Well, the first one that jumps out to me is ask for a detailed explanation of financial capability, right? That, that whole ability to obtain thing. I used to just, well, yeah, they, they say they have a bank, they have a banking relationship. Well, that's, yes, that may be true, but think more complex than that. And, and of course, this is going to be relative to the size of the acquisition, but that whole, that whole idea of, of prove the ability to obtain and not on every single resource, but maybe on this one, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Don't overdo it. Don't, don't make people go nuts explaining stuff and, and overdo the proposal process if you don't right. need it. This is where if government and the industry are communicating, both sides should understand whether or not this is a stretch for uh, for the competitors, by and large, their their financial experience. And, and another one is it, make sure you're using the right NAICS codes. Uh, we had a, you and Shelly did a, a, a podcast episode about yeah. NAICS codes, and and it's very easy for NAICS codes to throw this whole thing out of whack. Because one of the reasons in like IT NAICS codes are higher because IT infrastructure is more can be I don't say is can be more expensive IT people can be more expensive your payroll can be you know much more it, it can get bigger much faster when you're hiring you know people who are expensive I'm just yeah it, it, general statements but but you get the idea there's, there's a reason that NAICS codes are different so if you use a NAICS code that's like a 7 million dollar size standard when maybe the one that applies is 27 million that's how this happens and again I didn't see this as a contracting officer it's like making the right NAICS code can basically throw the rock in the pond that causes the boat to flip over. Okay, last thing before we go. I think we owe a little little better explanation of what the Skyway community is. We mention it all the time, but uh, you had a conversation with a podcast listener that explains why we should get a little more in-depth. So basically what he said was when we say Skyway community, people think we're talking about like the LinkedIn group and just a general royal concept of everybody in the community. And there actually is a subscription program. There's a subscription. You can join the Skyway community. So I wanted to kind of clarify that this is our premium content that has a lot more of the stuff that we do and ask a contracting officer forum, et cetera. This is where you get webinars, you get the RFP score tool, you get access to articles, things that, things that aren't out there like the podcast just for free. Right. Yeah. And this, this, for example, the, the the show notes uh, is in the community. So this idea of, you know, what is the Skyway community? It's a subscription program to give you a lot more of the content and help. So just wanted to clarify that. And there's actually a demo of the community at, at skywayacq.com slash demo. You can check it out there. Indeed. Okay, that's it for this episode of the Contracting Officer Podcast. Thanks again to our sponsor, ProPricer. And as always, if you have questions, comments, or complaints, 
send me an email at paul at contractingofficerpodcast.com. Thanks for joining us. 